Welcome to the official Ronnie Landis Podcast Show, where you learn to upgrade the human experience through natural nutrition, lifestyle design, and consciousness engineering. This is no ordinary health or personal growth podcast, and Ronnie Landis is definitely no ordinary host. Ronnie Landis is an integrative nutritionist, transformation coach, and human behavioral specialist. He brings on some of the world's leading thought leaders to deliver to you the most cutting-edge information and unique perspectives so you can create the life of your dreams. Get ready to receive your upgrade in all you believed was possible, starting now. Welcome to another edition of the official Ronnie Landis podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis, and before we begin today's incredible show, I want to share an upcoming program I am launching in mid-March, which could be exactly what you're looking for to take your life in every way to a completely new level. You see, over the last year, I have received more requests for personal coaching in the areas of creating optimal health experiencing transformational breakthroughs, and reaching one's highest potential in life than ever before. The coaching work I have done over this last year has been exceptionally powerful, and the results my clients have received has truly and profoundly blown me away, to say the least. As I have deepened my work with my one-on-one clients, I realized there was a major limit to the amount of highly dedicated individuals I could serve and support through this work. Because of this, I decided to create a highly specialized group coaching model that would foster an exclusive, highly supportive, and co-creative environment that helps each person reach their ultimate goals in life and highest expression of vibrant health. This is an eight-week experience called the Breakthrough Transformation Program, and it's designed to ensure each participant receives all of the support, information, and practical tools necessary to reach a place in their holistic life they never knew was possible. I will be personally taking a group of 20 people every week through a deep learning curve into the unexplored potential and helping them to accelerate the integrative process of self-mastery. This program will focus on specific areas such as creating invincible health strategies, cutting-edge nutrition strategies, emotional and mental mastery, overriding poverty consciousness with prosperity consciousness, accelerating learning modalities, becoming a truly empowered leader, and building a successful coaching slash service-based business, and trust me when I say so, so much more than that. This program also will include a three-day live event, which is going to be following the online coaching program and an opportunity to join me for a private Hawaii immersion experience. This program officially begins March 15th and will only be open to the first 20 people who register. So in order to discover if this one-of-a-kind coaching opportunity is the correct fit for you and your goals, please shoot me a quick message at Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E, at HolisticHealthMastery.com. Again, that's Ronnie at HolisticHealthMastery.com. I'll respond back to you, um, and then we will carry the conversation on from there. Diving into today's show, I have a very special guest by the name of Jake Ducey, and what a doozy this interview was. (laughs) Um, Hmm. Where do you even begin with this? You know, Jake, I became aware of Jake um, a number of years ago through a mutual friend, Dan McDonald, who is a very dear friend of mine. He was on the, he's number, episode number 17 on this podcast, and just a very, very dear friend in the raw food world, and he, um, this this young man, Jake Ducey, was on his YouTube channel probably four or five years ago, and he was promoting promoting his new book and he caught my interest simply because he was like I think he was like maybe 18 or 19 at the time and what I remember is that he gave up some 
potential scholarship for basketball going to college very similar story to mine just different but similar and decided to travel around the world and explore his life in a completely new way and he wrote a book about it and started this career of inspiring people and and really encouraging people to live their passion and and that kind of thing and he since then has become quite a popular guy on the internet and, and has worked with people like Bob Proctor and just really done some remarkable things in his life. And I really, really respect this individual. I think he is going to become an amazing speaker. Um, I mean, he's already really incredible at what he does. He's spoken on stages like TEDx and many other, like I said, worked with Bob Proctor and things of that nature. However, I think he's going to become one of the actual leaders in the public development space, the personal development space, and um, just an incredible incredibly inspiring figure for many years to come and this interview was nothing short of exceptional and what 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 can i say one of the things that i remember we discussed in this interview was the nature of fear the nature of procrastination and it's tied to fear and stepping up in a bigger game for our life one of the things he also talked about was his own process around those concepts and how he overcomes stagnation and procrastination and also around anxiety and getting wrapped up in overachiever mode where the point where it becomes very detrimental and actually can have negative repercussions on our personal life and our relationships and the things that matter the most to us. Um, and writing that fine line between ambition and really just self-love and, and taking care of ourselves and having compassion and not being in such a rush to get things or achieve things and also exchanging out our paradigm around um, certain areas of our life that we want to experience better results. You know, we, we have a certain paradigm or belief system associated with money or with food or with fitness or with health or with our business or with our job or our spouse or our relationships, whatever it is. So, you know, actually examining areas of our life and examining the underlining conditioned program that's operating underneath the surface that actually creates the rules and blueprint for those areas of our life and being willing to reprogram the system with new updated software so we can experience better results in our life with doing half the work. I really love that idea. So without further ado, get ready for an epic Super fun, super educational, informative uh, conversation between myself and Jake Ducey. At only 24 years old, Jake Ducey is a two-time published author with Penguin Random House Publishing, and he's written the books The Purpose Principles and Profit from Happiness, a leading speaker for his generation, having been featured in TEDx Youth, hired by mega organizations such as Nielsen and Accenture, and a leader who has actually who's already inspired countless thousands of people to seek meaningful career success and to make a difference in the world. It's my honor and pleasure to introduce Jake Ducey. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ronnie. Thank you for having me. Mm, my pleasure. Yeah, like I was saying before we hopped on this call, um, for me it seemed like a, you know a work in the making. I've I've known about you for a number of years. I think I first saw you come onto the scene. Our mutual friend Dan McDonald, you know, like years ago. I, I want to say maybe even like four or five years ago, uh, posted a, a video with both of you on it where you just released your first book, Into the Wind, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, that's funny. That's that. That's uh, Dan the Man. Yeah, he, uh, he had me on his YouTube channel a few times. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I first saw you and I was like, oh, well, you know, it seems like a really great dude, really positive and He's setting uh, setting a really cool path for himself and going out there and inspiring people. So it'll be interesting to see where his journey goes and look where it's gone so far. I mean, 24 years old, you've done so much and 
you've inspired so many people. One of the things that I notice about your message, especially recently, and I think that'll lead us into talking about you know your books and things of that nature, is that the the overall message that seems to come through for me is that you're really trying to help people understand that in order to achieve their dreams in this this idea of quote-unquote success, they don't have to sacrifice their happiness to get it. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, the biggest dilemma that we have today is people, and people, I mean, I just, yesterday or two days ago, someone wrote me with a similar topic, like, you know, um, well, I have this choice where I can go be free or I can get a job and be unhappy. It's like, no, no. You can actually do both. Today, you know, Gallup polls reported 72% of Americans said they're actively disengaged from their jobs. But also 9 out of 10 Americans are, are dying with less than are, – are dying with zero assets, less than $10,000 cash as well. So we're dying generally broke. The majority of Americans are in debt. And we're unhappy because we're working. And it's like we convince ourselves, if I just work really hard, even though this sucks really bad, I'll make a bunch of money. But the reality is people aren't making a bunch of money. There's very few people, you know, less than 20, 20% of Americans make over $100,000 or $150,000 a year. Right, right. That's really important to dispel that myth. From the economic standpoint, because one of the things in my world, I'm a, I'm a, I guess kind of, I'm, I'm always recontextualizing what I would call myself as an integrative nutritionist, more of a longevity and peak performance coach now. Um, but within within that, one of the overarching messages that comes through my work is this idea that your health is your wealth and your health is tied to your happiness and doing what you love to do in your life. And everything else kind of springs from that, that reservoir of emotional coherence, if you will. And if you're in a place where you're actually, you have got it in your head where you're sacrificing your emotional and mental well-being for this transitory object called money, that is a very dark place to be in because even if you do get the money, What's the point? Because now you've exhausted your life force in order to get it. And as you know, most people that have achieved uh, great feats of financial um, wealth or or riches, um, they oftentimes will spend the rest of their life investing their money to try to get their health back. Yeah, no, it's a it's a funny paradox. You know, health is. Health is, ener- health is energy. Vitality is energy. And the amount of energy which you can sustain on your, on your brain waves, on your overall physiology, is really the emotion that's necessary to create success. So I am, mm. I'm an advocate of, of both, of all of the above. Why, why pick one? Why, why not be really healthy, really happy? be very connected to your soul's mission and make a lot of money and have great relationships. Like why not have all of it? Yes. I love that. So you're a holistic thinker. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's essential. And I think if you look back at many of the greatest thinkers who ever lived, that's what they've all been telling us. I mean, Marcus Aurelius was the most powerful man in the world. uh, King, King of, King of Rome. And he, if you read his, his book, Meditations, which was his diary, which was turned into a book, very holistic guy, you know, he's uh, very well-rounded. And I think it's essential to, I mean, you can just see it in performance. If you don't have health, then you're not going to perform as well. So I'm, uh, I'm definitely, you know, a six-day-a-week exercise person and, and also, you know, have, have large financial goals, which I know... The only way to earn them is by serving more and more and more and more people. Um, That's why it's called service. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, you mentioned Marcus Aurelius. Um, Did you ever get into Seneca? You know, um, there's a great book called Seneca on the Shortness of Life. I actually have that coming at this very moment. Okay. Um, It should be here tomorrow, actually. That's that's hilarious. 
Yeah, I got a book. It's really good. It's called Resilience. It's by this guy. I think his name is like Greg Graytons or something like that. He was a he was a Navy SEAL and he wrote this book on mental toughness. But the whole book mm. is based off Stoic philosophies. Um, so he bases the majority of the book around Seneca and 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 Marcus. And it's a really great book. So that's where I got originally into Seneca. Mm, that's so cool. You know, this this conversation is definitely starting off in a really, really fun and interesting way. And um, I'm looking at one of my books, actually, and there's this chapter called Secrets of the Immortals. The book's really on like alchemy and longevity and things like that. And I opened it up with this quote that I pulled out of that book from Seneca. Let's see where it takes us. The quote is, you act mortal in all that you fear and immortal in all that you desire. And I found myself opening up a lot of my lectures with that very quote because what that tells me is essentially the things that people are afraid of, they act immediately. So like when your taxes are due, right? People are in a frantic or they have to get to work or something like that. But in the things that they actually desire for their life, they act as if they have all the time in the world. And um, maybe you have some kind of uh, insights around that idea. Yeah, well, I mean, um, fear is, an, is, of course, it's not something that, you know, will just disappear forever. But it's a very animalistic state of consciousness. And so I think what he's saying is when we're in fear, we're mortal. We're in our animalistic state of consciousness. And when we move into higher, higher realms of consciousness such as clarity around desire and connected to our spirit, you know, when you're inspired, which is Latin root word spiritos, which means in spirit. That's what inspired means, you're in spirit. And when you're inspired, it's usually for some desire of some sort. So we transcended to higher wavelengths of consciousness of awareness that have transcended us out of an animalistic state of consciousness um into more of a realm of self-awareness and and self-mastery so um yeah i mean that's how i look at it i mean if you if if you break that down more i mean think about the people i think when people talk about legacy and like i'm working to have a bunch of people at my funeral and blah 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 <laughs> i think that's a very shallow thing because it's is if you if that's what motivates you great but i think there's a lot stronger forces of motivation than that yes. but point being that if you look at the people who are remembered after they're dead they weren't living out they weren't basing their entire life out of fear did they have fear absolutely but martin luther king mother Teresa. Uh, i mean e- even someone like like a, a steve jobs who's less of a quote-unquote humanitarian but they weren't l- basing their entire life out of fear because when you do you're you're mortal you're you're gone you're forgotten your mark is never left on the world no one knows that you were here is that the goal? I don't think so at all. But point being, when you're connected, inspired, moved from some great desire, some great purpose, you transcend ordinary realms of consciousness and tap into something greater that can, as Steve Jobs says, dent the universe. Mm, very well stated. You know what came up for me listening to that is that um, I grew up as a martial artist. I was actually raised as a martial artist since the age of four, and I, com- I competed professionally and internationally in Taekwondo up until about age of 23. And what's coming up for me is remembering kind of my, my psychological process and how I modulated my emotions and actually used them for fuel. I remember there were a few times where when I entered into the adult division as a black belt, you're going from competing against people who are like, you know, anywhere from 16 to 17, all the way to 18 to 32. And uh, I remember stepping into that and there were like grown adults that literally had this like ferocity or aggression in their eyes, which was a lot different than what I was used to. 
And um, I remember feeling like once I stepped up to the ring, because you don't know who you're facing. You, it's, a, it's a wild card until you get there, and then you see the person across from you, and there's all these people around you, especially you know the bigger tournaments. And I could have backed out, but once I got up there, it was like all that butterflies and all that fear um, I just immediately had to breathe into it and then step into the arena and, and use that energy as fuel. And uh, I just, you know, that's just what came up for me is this idea that f- fear is just an emotion and it can be used, it can be redirected as a fuel source. But if we, if we live in the fear, then it, it can overwhelm us into a place of paralysis. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we have a uh, we have a prefrontal cortex that has been used for thousands of years to protect us through our evolution, where we needed it. You know, we needed our nervous system to be shocked with fear. We needed fight or flight um, or freeze. You know, sometimes you got to freeze when there's a giant animal and you're not supposed to run. And Mm. we needed that in order to survive in evolution. It was a, it was fear is the only reason that human beings have survived. And that part of the brain hasn't evolved. And so all of those same, um, all of that same protective mechanism still exists, but we don't have things that are going to kill us. Like it's not going to kill you right. if you go try and double your income or ask that person <laughs> out. Or, but, but it's understandable why people feel that way because mm-hmm. that part of the brain still exists. And, and, it, and your nervous system, once it's hit, it doesn't know it's real or not real. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's... It, is not, I don't think we transcend it, but you know, I think that being able to break things down, like, okay, is this actually going to kill me if I go ask that guy or, or woman out, or I, if I ask mm-hmm. for a raise, or if I start building a side business, or I raise my rates, or whatever the case may be, will this kill me? Mm-hmm. No, that, it actually won't at all. <laughs> and when we can break things down into I think bite-sized chunks that the mind can can understand, then it doesn't um, lead us astray as much. Oh, this you just brought up a really interesting insight. I just thought about the um, you know there's the perspective of non-locality in quantum physics. So you know our thoughts and emotions are non-localized, meaning that they they live in the the you know the parameters of of what we might call time and space and so for example you know in my work i deal with a lot of areas revolving around trauma and how that affects the physical body and one of the things that came to my my awareness was this idea that for example let's say um when you're 5 years old you try to get your mom or dad's attention and let's say they're stressed out for whatever reason and they snap on you. And in that moment, there is a, there's a micronized trauma that gets imprinted into the nervous system and it doesn't necessarily get discharged from the nervous system. So that per that, that, you know, that person, that five-year-old, as they go through life, if they've never dealt with it or exercised it, that can live on in them throughout their life as if they're having the experience, um, you know, emotionally. So I find that really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you build up neural pathways. And Mm -hmm. so once you Let's say your parents got divorced over money, which we know is the number one cause of divorce. Uh, Love is broken up by money more than anything else. So let's say that happened to you and you grew up in a house starting before the age of six. You don't have a conscious mind. Your conscious mind is what recognizes who you are. It's able to reject information. You don't have that. All you have is a subconscious. So you're basically in a state of hypnotism before the ages of six. And let's say all growing up, your parents fought about money. Now, Mm. then they got divorced. 
and it was a bad divorce, or maybe it wasn't even that bad of a divorce, but it was very painful and traumatizing. Well, what happens? What happens is you have unconsciously associated money with pain. Therefore, you're never going to make much unless you can reprogram your subconscious mind. And that's what I'm into. And that is, I guess, the connection between what you were saying is it doesn't matter whether it's money. Somebody says, well, why do you always talk about money? Okay, well, I mean, it's something you can measure, so it's easy. But it could be love. It could be that you, your parents got divorced, and so now, and it was very, it was a very bad. And then mom had to go live in a one bedroom apartment, or dad did, and they were broke. And so you think that love is pain. So we have these unconscious things that happen in the early stages of our life that unconsciously control our finances, our health, our wealth, our confidence. You know, it's not based off of your this is my genetics and I'm just not meant to make much money or I can't be that confident. No, it's all based off of unconscious associations we have. You know, there's a beautiful quote by Earl Nightingale. He says, um, to change your beliefs, you have to um, you have to reevaluate your relationship to things. And I think if we reevaluate our relationship to money or to love or to Whatever it is, you know, everyone, and I'm sure you know when you work with private clients and the same when I work with a private client, you, everyone has their unique things that are the things that they self-sabotage themselves with. Yes. And it's pretty much always associated back to um, unconscious and illogical associations that we have. Money is the root of all evil. Love is pain or whatever the case may be. Mm, it's almost like we live in metaphors. So yeah. for yeah, so for example, what you just said, like money is the root of all evil, it's like, well, okay, is that true? Or my back is up against the wall, or this person stabbed me in the back. It's like, well, okay, it's a metaphor. Is that but is that but people live in that because it creates an emotional charge. Yeah, absolutely. And and so for the rest of our lives, we unconsciously have that type of reaction um, to whatever. That's someone who self-sabotages every relationship when it gets past the six-month period. Why? Because they, they have an unconscious association, perhaps, that love is pain. Um, or someone makes $100,000 and then they blow it and they go back to being at 50 again or 40 again. It's it's because we have we have you have a financial thermostat which regulates unconsciously the amount of money that you think that you can make just like a thermostat that's set at 70 degrees in a house it's going to stay at it's going to kick in the thermostat and it will regulate the place at 70 degrees I always ask my clients when I start with them I say well how much how much money do you make? You know, how much have you been making? I don't care how much you make. I'm just curious. So I know with, with what unconscious, um, associations we're operating with. And generally people make about the same generally every year. I have one woman that has made $250,000 every year for the last 10 years. Some years it's 218, some years it's 207, some years it's 255. It's always pretty much the same. And so I think when we can get to the heart of our associations um, and our relationships to things, we can actually really take health, wealth, and happiness to a whole nother level. Mm. So this leads me to a question I want to I wanna get your, your insight on. Um, what was the moment that you changed your, your financial thermostat? Like what – not just like what was the moment, but what what were like one or two key insights in that moment that occurred for you where you were able to make that transition? It depends in what context. Um, financially, it was um, I had an association that you know, money was bad. I think that's a lot of quote unquote spiritual people have that, mm-hmm. you know, you shouldn't have very much. Whereas it, it, money can do two things and give you comfort or it can extend the good you can do far beyond your physical presence. 
If you have a lot of money, you can do a lot more good than someone that is quote-unquote spiritual that doesn't have much money. You can go build schools while you go help someone else at the same time with the money. You know, it's like duplicating yourself. You can do a lot more amazing things. Um, so waking up to my examining what is my belief system around this area of my life that's holding me back. It could be confidence. It could be dating. It could be sex. It could be um, intimate friendships. Um, it could be your income. Um, it could be any, any part of our life. And when we can examine food, food is a big one. Yeah. Um, when we can, I, for me, it was just realizing when I started to learn about what the subconscious mind was, a human being is generally an unconscious creature. We're hardly conscious. And so I, I got really curious when I learned that, and you know, psychologists tell us 95% of our life is unconscious, 65,000 thoughts in a day. That means about 63,000 of them are unconscious thoughts. We're not even aware of them. You know, I always say, how many do you think are actually directed towards your desires? I don't know, 10? Do you remember 10 of your thoughts that were directed towards your desires throughout mm. the day? We don't really remember much. And I was like starting to think, well, maybe that's why the law of attraction doesn't work for people because you don't get what you want. Yes. A want is a conscious, des- it's a conscious desire. It's in your conscious mind. It's the tip of the iceberg. Your conscious mind's the tip of the iceberg. But your unconscious paradigms around money, around health, around love, around food are what actually control the areas of our life. Yeah, so it's like the Wayne Dyer quote, you don't get what you want, you get what you are. Yeah, because who you are unconsciously is the results you're going to get in your life. You know, Socrates said that long before he said, don't be so concerned with what you have as to what you are. Mm. I have a I have a suspicion that your process is probably very similar to mine in the sense that if I really want to learn about something, if I really want to dive fully in, I write a book about it. That just seems to be my thing. Like I just know like I, I wanna I, I like the quote, you know, in order to really learn something, learn as if you were teaching it. And so I just, I take that position, you know, as a teacher anyways, I just like, all right, well, I'm going to start teaching about this and maybe I'll even write a book about it because that will, that will allow me to go really, really deep and also feel like I'm using whatever I'm learning about, um, in a way to, to contribute to others. So I, I, I imagine maybe there's something similar going on with you as you've written your books. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not writing right now, but I'm not working on a new one right now. I'm working on a couple other projects that are exciting. But yeah, I mean, I the way I learn is is the way that I had to study a history book in high school. I have extensive notes throughout books, and then my assistant types them up for me, and I review the main points of the books that are printed out on eight by eleven pieces of paper because I don't. Want it. What's the point in reading if you don't really re- – somebody who spent all their life you know, studying X, Y, or Z, depending on what you're interested, whether it was raw food or whether it was um, health or whether it was a subconscious mind or money or relationships or love. People have spent their whole life studying and our attention spans are so bad now yeah. that you really have to have a process to your learning to really get the most out of it. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time. It's like television. We're just having, uh, we're having education through insight or entertainment, rather, through insight. We're being entertained through insight, mm. but we don't apply any of it. It's just information. And so, you know, people always say, right, we've, you've heard this. Everyone listens, heard it, is that knowledge isn't power. Applied knowledge is power. And yes. so um, I think that, you know, you don't need to write a, you don't need to write a book, but you can take it to the logical extreme, just like, you know, they always say education, your education begins the day you, you know, the day you get your degree or whatever, or the day you finish school for whatever, you know, whatever, whatever levels of education you listening to this have ended at. So that means, you know, the greatest part about school, I don't think is what you learn, but how you, the things you learn about how to acquire information. So I said, you know, I don't have a degree. So I 
thought, well, if I apply the same things that I had to do in history class, taking highlighted notes and, you know, turning things into study guides and taking the best notes and copy them over, if I did that to financial books and autobiographies and books on the power of the mind and human potential, I would become a real student. And if I became a real student, I'd probably become very successful and very happy. So that's the assumption that how I go about trying to learn things. Oh, I love that. Well, good, good, very good insights. That leads me to well, I got a couple questions, but um, you know, I'm kind of have this holographic mind of mine that I'm I'm sifting through as it's uh, there's new things popping up for me and how I want to frame this. But let's just start real simple. I'd love to discuss your new book, um, Profit from Happiness, because this is such an interesting uh, concept. Not that it's it's so like it's not like esoteric or it's like an anomaly. I mean, it's like it's been talked about for so long, but um, I think it's an interesting and unique perspective that you have on it because in the beginning of the show, we were talking about how your message is not about, you know, kill yourself on the way to success, push a boulder up the hill like syphilis, and then maybe you'll become a success. It's actually about, you know, profiting from being happy. And so, yeah, let's let's just open up the the pathway on that. What what inspired you to write this book and maybe share some insights about it? Well, what inspired me to write the book was I got a speaking engagement at a big fortune company. And so when I go to these big companies, they'll give me a tour before so they gave me a tour and they said kind of quietly that guy over there is one of the reasons you're here he's very difficult for the rest of the team to work with Mm -hmm. and I said okay and they said well he's also our but he's also our MVP I said so he, you have me coming out here to, you know, hopefully help this guy that's ruining everything. They're paying a bunch of money for, to come out for this guy, but they're awarding him the MVP, but he's the hardest person to work with. That doesn't really make sense to me. <laughs> and it made no sense to me. And so he wasn't even a leader and they were giving him the, the, like, essentially the top leader award. And it so struck me as so odd. And so, you know, what I started thinking of is what about MVE most valuable energy? Mm. And then that's when, you know, at the beginning I talked about how 75% of Americans are actively disengaged from their jobs. Two million, two million Americans quit jobs every uh, month because, they don't feel empowered, not because of the income. They don't feel empowered. And the U.S. economy is estimated to lose $550 billion a year from productivity loss. So there's some serious um, misconceptions that we have. So we're losing money, $550 billion as an economy, every year based off of the idea that if I just work harder and I ignore everyone else around me and I don't turn to them unless I need their paper, their paper stapler, it's not working. We're losing money and people are really unhappy. And so I wrote this book as a uh, unconventional guide to practical leadership to increase our value. Because if you increase your value, you can make more money. And by the way, you'll be a lot happier self-esteem grows, your self-image grows, your confidence grows because you see you have influence. So it doesn't matter where you are in a company or in a job or in a career, you can always become more valuable. And Jim Rohn says it so beautifully. He says, you're not paid for your time. You're paid for your value that you bring to the marketplace. That's why someone at the desk at a Mac store makes $10 an hour and Tim Cook makes like $100 million. Why? Because Tim Cook's more valuable valuable to Apple than the person that is working at the at the at the Mac store. Are they a bad person? Not at all. Well, can they be a very valuable friend? Yes. But in context to the marketplace, 
they're not very valuable Com- relatively so to someone that may work just as many hours that's on the executive board at Apple that's providing a lot of value and so I think that it puts a lot it's a it's a holistic shift to if if I can if I can increase my energy and my value and my leadership and my connection to those around me I can influence them positively we can join together as a team to reach certain goals and that's fulfilling that's psychologically what a human being needs in order to feel happiness mm. Do you feel like this is the most important thing for people to understand if they're if they are struggling, let's say, with um, self esteem, feeling like they they are not um, as confident as they would like to be? Um, I think it's a thing. I wouldn't say it's the thing. I mean, you got to keep in mind that confidence is a byproduct of trying things. So you don't just you're not just one day confident. Confidence is a by why why is Kobe Bryant why was he such a confident basketball player? Well, because he spent day and night working at it and he knew he could make certain shots. He knew he was better. So he became confident. It was a byproduct of action. So I mean if someone is struggling from self-esteem, I would I would get some clarity around what you want. You know, what do you want? You know, whether it's a new relationship or whatever the case may be, you have to go out and try things and put yourself out there. And when you do that, you generally find you're a lot more powerful than you thought. Whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, someone that dates a lot, you know, and they have, you know, a relative amount of confidence talking to the opposite sex or the same sex dependent on their, on their, um, on their sexuality you develop that type of um, ability to flirt or whatever the case may be because you've done it. You know, you've done it a few times in the same way that like a great NBA, LeBron James has been to the NBA finals. It's not his first time. He has confidence because he has experience. So I think finding out the things that are important to us and just getting out there and trying things and know you're going to fall and know you're going to fail and know you're going to mess up. But in that process, you're going to develop skills, you're going to develop your character, and when you develop those things, that's the birthplace of confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Continue to put yourself out there and don't be afraid to fail. That's part of, you know, again, touching on the fear syndrome. Um, people, I find, are afraid to make mistakes, you know, they're afraid to look a certain way, um, not as competent as they might think they need to be right out the gate, whatever the case is, whatever the thought is, I find, and even in my own life, I have to always remind myself of certain things that you're a work in progress 100% of the time. There's never going to be that finish line in this life. And, and if you believe in reincarnation, then you're just going to recycle into the next one and keep the, keep the show going, right? So it's an interesting thing to, to look at this perspective that, you know, we're always a work in progress and our greatest work is ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, until we clear our consciousness around an association that we have that's holding us back until we clear it, it's going to keep surfacing. You're going to keep having, you know, love problems until, you know, you change your association that love is in pain, hypothetically, right? This is totally hypothetical. Or unless you change your relationship to money, you're going to keep struggling at it. So forget, you know, even reincarnation. If you just think of it from the perspective of your same challenges are going to continue to reincarnate yes. in this lifetime exactly. until you can <laughs> make peace with them or lose the emotional charge. And I have those things surface all the time um, myself, you know. And so um, when that happens, I can say, okay, here's, here's this again. Or I can freak out for a little while until I come to my senses. And then I can say, mm-hmm. okay, I don't think that, that didn't feel very good. Okay, what's the deal here? Would you be able to give us maybe an example of one of those things that might reoccur for you from time to time? And then what are, what's a practice that you do to work through it? 
Um, patience, um, mm. which if you really break it down, it's the need to control, it's a need to control something. Yeah. So why else would you not be patient unless you want, unless you wanted to control something, have something happen a certain way. So, you know, there's that meme on Facebook. I'm sure everyone's seen it. What screws us up most is a picture in our head of what life's supposed to be like. So, I mean, I definitely. I, I don't really struggle with patience anymore in career. It's just more day-to-day life. Um, I just, like, I think I value my time probably too much um, because it's not even my time anyways. So that causes a lot of suffering. Like, this isn't my time, you know? Like, who says it's mine? I'm just, we're here and we're gone. And we're all a piece uh, of, you know, we're all a piece of this, whatever you want to call it, God, spirit, love, the Tao. We're all a piece of it you know, um, the ebb and flow of life, you know, you can't, you can't get mad at the ocean if it's not coming up to high tide as fast as you want. So, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, that's one that I, my, my girlfriend can, can attest to that. It was bad a couple of years ago. I, I, I would, I would, uh, I, I couldn't even, I, I still to this day, I mean, if there's a line at a grocery store, I'll leave the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I'll show up. I'll be like, the line's too long. I'm, we're leaving, Ashley. It's like, what? We just, you know? That's like, I don't know. It's just, I, it's something that, it's, it's control. I want to be somewhere other than where I am. Um, so, you know, a lack of presence um, creates an abundance of impatience sometimes. Mm, you said something interesting about my time. Do you feel like that impatience impulse is a byproduct of feeling like your time is being wasted somehow? Oh yeah, all the time. I always say that. I, always, I mean, not a, not. A, I wouldn't say always anymore. Um, my girlfriend can attest to my improved patience, but yeah, I mean, I can't think of specific specific things off the top of my head of how it used to be but yeah i mean it was it was all it was all centered at that for sure patience is a patience is a is a is a big one um just recently someone very very close to me did something that i thought was very um unethical and um immoral mm-hmm. and it hurt me, you know, because I, I, I thought it was a very, it seems like things seem like very logical and rational things sometimes to, um, to hold a strong stance on or get upset about it. And I didn't even express it to this person, but I felt it was very immoral. And so that caused a lot of, it caused a lot of suffering and, and, you know, the practice, of course, is to, you know, understand that everyone and everything is on its own journey and there are things I can control and there are things I can't control. You know, the, the uh, what is that? The 12 steps thing is like, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference, something like that. Yes. So. Yes. Mm, that's really great. Um and I find I think the impatience, if we were to call it, I like to use the word syndrome or even like pathology of some some sort, um, almost like a, you know, it's like almost like a virus of the mind. Um, I think Wayne Dyer used to talk about that, the meme virus. And so, you know, I, I look at it kind of like that and, and to disassociate my personality from it um, so I can actually work with it opposed to, I guess, getting into this place where I have been in the past um, of being so wrapped up in an identity where I, I'm actually in, I'm incapable of, of, um, I guess, disassociating from the impatience or from the frustration, if you will, that might have been part of my, my, my previous characteristics. Um, so anyways, I just really appreciate that perspective. And I think a lot of people out there too are going to as well. Um, and uh, possibly on the same thread of thought, this question I find interesting. How can people double their income without doubling their work hours? Um, I mean, I did it. <laughs> I've done I, way more than double it. Yes. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's hard to 
just hard to do that in, in, you know, a couple minutes. But I think one is people don't have goals or they don't even decide to set a goal to double it to begin with. Just the audacity of setting that goal deters most people from setting it, you know, and that's primarily what I do when I work with people one-on-one. I see, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I see it. I just had a client last week make more money than she ever made in her life and trip we tripled her income in four weeks um and we had to redo an entire business plan at that same time so it wasn't like the things were in place but what i find is people um first people don't set goals so i invite everyone to set set a large one you know you might as well the point of the goal isn't what you get the point of the goal is who you become yes and so and if you become, if you acquire a lot of new skills, you're going to improve your income. That's for sure. And so, I think there's a lot of things. One is people spend a lot of time on low income producing activities, um, busy work, and not on high income producing activities. So you can look at that. You know, for starters, is you know, look at it's an eighty twenty rule. What is giving you 80% of your income? What are the tasks? And if you have an hourly wage, you could look at it this way. You know, what are the tasks that make you worth X, Y, or Z? And how can you increase those skills to grow your income if you're in an hourly wage? If you're, if you're paid per performance, you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, whatever the case may be, um, then you can just look, you know, as a whole, as what's where's your income coming in from the most, and do more of that and less of the other stuff. Because we are, we have this weird assumption that, you know, if I get busier, then I can make more money. It's like I work less, way less than ever before. I used to wake up like when I started dating my girlfriend. The first time she slept over, I was like, I'm just letting you know that my alarm's going to go off. Like, I forget when it was three or four in the morning and I'm going to be working. So, like, we went to bed at midnight and I woke up like three or four hours later and I just worked, you know? And I I wasn't getting that much traction. And so, I think finding out what are the highest income producing activities. And then number two is it's all unconscious anyways. So I think that really the biggest thing is to understand what your unconscious associations with money are, um, you know, and set your goal, take out an index card. Um, this is an actionable step that everyone can do, uh, on top of finding out, you know, what are your low income producing activities and stop doing as much of those as you can get an index card and take your goals out you know, take your whatever it is. Let's say someone wanted to make $100,000 a year, $10,000 a month would be, you know, take out an index card, write that on a piece of paper. I'm so happy and grateful now that X, Y, and Z and look at that as often as possible. So it's the same thing as a chorus on a song. How do you want to learn the chorus of a song? Well, you probably listen to it a lot. And people get them stuck in their head. Mary had a little lamb, little someone was singing it and now it's stuck in someone's head, right? right. Or whatever, some what whatever is popular, a Drake or a Rihanna song. It's stuck in someone's head. Why? Because they've they've had constant repetition to that idea. Now it's imprinted subconsciously. Well, do the exact same thing with the image of the income that you desire. And that's what Napoleon Hill taught, who, who studied the lives of the 500 wealthiest people in the world. He, you know, does the same thing that Andrew Carnegie, who was at, at one time the richest man in the world, is the same thing Henry Ford was doing. So, like, why would we not do those things? So I think break that down <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for, for everyone listening is, you know, carry that card with you and start looking at it as much as possible because you're changing your subconscious associations. I love what you just said. And I actually grew up studying all that information, the Napoleon Hill and the James Allen and the Wallace Waddles. And I know Bob Proctor is a mentor of yours. And um, he was another really big influence. I recognize where a lot of these insights are are, um, stemmed from, which I think is amazing. And I love what you just said, actually. It's so clear, it's so simple, and it's so obvious. 
this is what they did, so why wouldn't we want to do it too? I just love that that statement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. Right. Mm. Let's see. We are we are reaching the the eclipse of this really amazing conversation. What um what would you like to share with this audience as some concluding thoughts and even things that oh just whatever might come up for you just just a little just before you do that this audience is a very eclectic unique diverse audience full of people from all ranges of the health community the entrepreneurial community of some sort um you know, you got people that are entrepreneurs, that are mothers, fathers, um, people from the ages between 22 to even 50 years old, of all backgrounds, let's just say. What are some insights that you would love to leave everybody off with? Um, well, I would just say, just to wrap it up, so it's just not information, I would say definitely if you don't have an index card, go buy index cards and start writing your your goals on index cards and carrying with them carrying them with you as much as possible. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger did that as a I mean, his auto but he's a very controversial person, but if you leave out all of that stuff and you look at how does someone go from a tiny hut in the middle of Europe that doesn't have any lamps to being governor of California and being one of the highest paid actors who ever lived. If you all the stuff that's controversial, just push it out of the way and look at that objectively. How do you do that? Well, if you read his autobiography, he says since the time he was eight years old, he started carrying cards with him that had a goals written on cards. When he was eight years old, he knew he wanted to be he knew he wanted to be a famous actor, you know. And if, time and time again, that's what people have done. Um, is Clarity of vision and having that with you is really powerful. And that alone can change. I mean, I've seen it change people's lives. I've seen it. People that come to me and haven't been able to afford coaching with me. And I'll just say, okay, I'm going to tell you what. Can you do something for me? And they say, yeah. I say, all right, here's what you're going to do. And I tell them the same thing based off of their own personal goals put it down. And I've had people write me within a week or two weeks and say, dude, you won't believe this. I just did X, Y, and Z income wise, like out of my mind. I can't believe it. It's just the way that your subconscious mind works. If it's programmed positively, it produces. Mm-hmm. So in other words, Make sure that you are reinforcing positive internal messages opposed to the the negative dialogues that we constantly are spinning time and time again. Yeah, I mean, make sure that the the thoughts and energies that are in your head, you know, are the things that you want. Right. Um, you know, because generally they're not. Right. You can always find what's wrong and you can also always find what's right. You just have to be the one to direct the thoughts. You might as well. I mean, that's just happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I really appreciate your, your wisdom and insight. And again, um, not that it matters, but I'm just going to point it out again for everyone listening. Um, you know, Jake Ducey is... 24 years old and I can easily relate to that because when I was 24 I was um, on a very powerful path myself and I understand you know kind of from that perspective I understand what it's like to be that young I mean you know young in the sense of where society would say you know um, but but I want to just I just want to spotlight that just for everybody listening um, yeah, I want to also acknowledge you, Jake, because I think you're an amazing human being that just latched on to a sense of personal clarity at an early age. But just to let everyone else know that all this information and perspective is universal and it doesn't actually matter where you are in your life and it doesn't matter what your age is. You can act on this in a moment and change your life. So. 
I mean, Bob Proctor went from one year of writing his goals on index cards and starting to study the power of his mind. He went from $4,000 a year and $6,000 in debt. You know, this is in the, what, must have been the 50s or 40s, um, to a half a million in a year. In a year. That's insane, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's... I invite everyone. It's like you might as well just take it to the logical extreme and really program yourself towards who you want to be and what you want to have and what you want to give and how you want to live. Mm. Yes, sir. You're inspiring me, so I'm going to take it to the next level. Thanks for this amazing conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and before I forget, of course, where can everybody find um, your books and your work? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure that my name will be listed on this. So you just type it in, Jake Ducey, D as in David, U-C-E-Y. And, you know, there's not very many other Jake Ducey's. So if you type that in on Facebook or YouTube or Google and go to my website, you know, you can check out my books and my, my seminars that I run and all that stuff. Okay, wonderful. Thank you again. It was a pleasure. And for everyone else out there listening, thank you, as always, for tuning in to another episode of the official Ronnie Landis show with our special guest, Jake Ducey. Check out his work. And until next time, aloha.